0: Drop the puck. Don't suck. It's another episode of the Styles and Friends podcast. And on this, uh, you know, wintry, blustery weekend, I guess of Snowmageddon 3, I've got a really cool guest on with me this week. It's Clint McElrath. Clint, how you doing, man? I'm doing
1: great, man. Excited to be on the uh, podcast
0: today. (laughs) The funny thing, so when they, like everyone here in Charlotte has been talking about Snowmageddon version 3, basically but I really loved your kind of forecast stuff that you were doing when the first big snow of this uh, 2022 year happened a couple of weeks ago. And you were like, we could get anywhere from zero to 24 inches.
1: Yeah. yeah you know, I, I love the weather and it's something that I actually enjoy, like watching videos on with, with the people who actually know it. Uh, but I, I always find it so difficult in North Carolina to be correct. So I decided to make some videos to, uh, you know, kind of parody that, I guess you could say. So,
0: Well, I mean, it, you know this, growing up in the mountains, it's pretty much hit or miss. I mean, they, they're they just wagging at it, regardless of what season it is. I mean, the old adage is what, wait two minutes
1: and it'll change. Yeah, yeah. and that's definitely what, uh, today it's like, I got probably five inches of snow, and my parents, who live maybe 10 minutes away, got a uh, dusting. So, I mean, it's just been... Uh, but it's been kind of interesting how that worked out that there's a guy named Bob Caldwell used to be a, uh, a, weatherman for news 13. And he used to say, whatever you have, it's, it's on your front porch. And essentially that's, that's the weather.
0: <laughs> I remember Bob and, and a lot of people used to joke and make fun of him. And, you know, they would say, Bob can't Caldwell, but <laughs> <laughs> I, he was always pretty accurate for us, but I mean, this week, especially they, they started calling for snow around Wednesday or so. And for us down here, three weekends in a row with, you know, potential wintry precipitation is kind of unheard of. And so when we got a light dusting this morning, I looked out and said, well, this will be gone by 10 o'clock. And sure enough, 10 o'clock rolled around and all the snow was gone. So we got barely just enough, this weekend to notice that there was any kind of precipitation, but I mean, five inches, that's pretty, that's pretty dramatic again for you guys.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a decent snow. I mean, I think they were calling originally for like a dusting and, and it ended up being a a lot more snow. It was snowing hard this morning when I woke up at about seven. So. That's awesome.
0: I mean, did you get a, when you were at app, did you guys get a lot of snow when you were there? Oh yes.
1: Oh yeah. You know, that's the one, one of the things I loved about app was just, I like the cold and I like snow and it would, snow all the time in the winter and and just you know have to walk a mile in the snow just to get to class because it never really canceled it and so it it always made for an interesting time so
0: well i always like the uh the statue out there when it snows and they you know app puts up pictures all the time of what's the what's the mountaineer's name is it yosef yeah yosef yeah and uh you know he's got snow all over him and and boone is a very beautiful place but I mean, I'm a Western guy, so I can't really, you know, fall in love with it too much, but I mean, it's very different just in those two climates. But, um, let's talk a little bit about how you got to app and then how you started your career. I mean, you, you went to Owen,
1: right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. So I was, uh, I graduated from Owen high school, uh, did that around 2002. And then, um, I actually started out at Western Carolina. So, um, I was listening to one of your previous episode. So you're
0: a true catamount. Well, I
1: guess you could say that. You know, I I I went out there and and spent a year at Western Carolina. Uh you were talking about I think you stayed at Walker and, and that's actually where I stayed as well, I believe. Um but yeah so spent a year out there. Um I I liked Western Carolina, but to me Appalachian State was kind of where I wanted to go originally and so um made the transfer uh, and spent four more years up there, and uh, it was a great time. Uh, that's that's where I kind of uh, got into fly fishing and, and really started that. And then it's also was fun because I got to witness those national championships that Appalachian State won, a uh, couple of them uh, while I was there. What was it like walking around campus with Armani Edwards there? Yeah, I mean he was uh, he was such a phenomenal player. I mean i I still think about how how much of a game changer he was when you watched him. I mean, his just speed and his ability to just kind of take off and go. Um, when we started, my dad would always come up and watch these games with us. And so we started that first season, or second season, I think it was, with Ar- Armani Edwards there. You know, you, you could just tell he he was on another level than than everyone else on the field. And, and so it was just uh, such a joy to kind of watch that game that guy play
0: I mean they were so good in those days and that's really kind of what built I mean that was around the same time that they beat Michigan right I mean were you were you in school when they did that or was
1: that that was um, I had tickets to that game but that was my first year at Pisgah i had been hired as a teacher there and and, uh, it was the same weekend as Pisgah Tuscola and so I I said I would stay for the rivalry game and, and figure out what that was like but Um, but yeah, so that was the year after, uh, I'd left there. That's pretty crazy.
0: I remember, I remember that so well. I mean, what app has become now that they're in the Sunbelt and, you know, they've, they've won multiple Sunbelt titles. And I think that what, this was the first year that they didn't win their bowl game. I think, is that that correct? correct, Yes. So, I mean, they've, they've had a pretty good run and, and then you see, you know, my alma mater, um, you know, we did not put all of our, our money into the football basket like app did, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's fine. I mean, people joked that my boss, he, he went to app and he, he will joke back and forth a little bit of banner and I'll tell him, I say, you can keep the jug. I don't even know what it looks like. I've never (laughs) seen it. So
1: (laughs) yeah. You know, Western, you know, they had a good run though, what, probably three or four years ago. Didn't they have a, they did,
0: yeah. They had they had a couple of good seasons kind of back-to-back under uh, Mark Spear. Mm-hmm. Um, they had one season, I think about two years ago, right before the pandemic happened, where they ended up beating Sanford at home, which is the first time they'd beat another ranked opponent at home in, I think, 15 years or something like that. I mean, they they won like seven, eight games, which is good for Western. Right, right. As I'll, I will take that any day of the week. And even during that period, people were upset that we were losing to other teams. And I'm like, we're playing Alabama, yeah. like we're what do you expect us to do? We're getting paid this is this is gonna happen. like we're gonna get fifty hung on us, but we're gonna come back to color with a lot of money. So just enjoy these wins, and they've got a new coach now. And so we're kind of in that rebuilding phase that kind of seems to last forever, but they ended up winning a a handful of games this year. So I'm not too awful upset, uh, with the football season. It's just, you know, we're just a work in progress out there in Culloway It's just (laughs) little by little, I feel like eventually we'll, we'll be good again. Like we were in the eighties. So that was kind of the heyday, I guess, for our football team. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, so I was a kid, my dad graduated from, or went to Western and, um, he, uh, that's where we'd always go out to games, watch football games. And so I spent majority of my childhood out there watching some of their football seasons. And yeah, I mean, you're kind of right. You know, you, a six or seven, eight win season, you know, those were great seasons. And, um, when they had Brad Hoover, those were fun, fun years to watch and uh, enjoy what they, what they were doing. So,
0: So another interesting fact about you, you actually played against Rashad McCants because he went to Irwin for a couple of years, and then Irwin and Owen were in the same conference. Is that right, in in sports when you were in school? So we
1: we weren't in the same conference, but we did play him every year. Um, And, yeah, I got to play against him. You want to talk about a high school athlete who looked like he was already in the NBA. That was Rashad McCants. I mean, he was – uh, about six four already and, and just he was built different i guess you could say um the he was strong could shoot could jump um, pretty much impossible to really stop uh, from my perspective you know i'm a six 160 pound uh power forward which really uh was not big enough to stop somebody like him but yeah, he was, he was fun to play against. He he stayed here through his junior year, um, and then he transferred out and played um, other places and, and, and um, ended up going, of course, to Carolina and the NBA later on. But uh, great, great, great player. Only player to ever dunk on me. Um, so <laughs> I, I learned, <laughs> you know, his elite talent very quickly uh, when guarding him. And, and, you know, he probably doesn't even know who I am because, you know, he played – uh, much much better talent than me over his career so what was it
0: like just to you know to know that he was going to the next level when you were playing i, I mean i know what it was like when we played against victor davila but i didn't you know play against victor davila i mean you actually had to guard rashad McCann. yeah it
1: was it was a challenge i mean you you wanted to challenge yourself you know your goal is to go in there and, and try to prove that you also can you know you can stop somebody who's who's of his caliber, but, um, you know, he, there's some things you just can't stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think one, one game he had like 18 and then another, he had like 22 and I, I'll count that as a win, even though, uh, it really wasn't. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, i if, if I had to guard someone like that, I would, I would consider that a positive if they stayed, you know, in the twenties. So that's, to me, that's a good thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 I tell you one of the, so I played with him, I played against him, not with him, but uh, in eighth grade, we had a travel AAU team playing his, and we were up on his team by like 20 points, and he didn't, he wasn't there, and and he walks in at halftime, David, and he plays the second half, and they end up beating our travel team by 20 points, so. (laughs) So,
0: I mean, that's just the difference that he made, I mean, he just. It just uh, he's on another level basically another planet of basketball
1: yeah yeah and there's another guy who's really good too when i played his name is trent strickland and he went to wake forest um he was a phenomenal high school basketball player um, and i got to play with david weaver who was um a freshman when i was a senior but he was a nine freshman oh wow uh, and he ended up playing at wake forest as well and going overseas and i think he he just finished his last season, probably playing ball. Uh, he's been pro for like, uh, 11 or 12 years, uh, overseas. So
0: that's crazy. Um, so your basketball anthology is pretty, I mean, you have played against some pretty good people.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was a good time in Western North Carolina to be, um, you know, be playing ball. Um, there was some other people too, like, um, Reynolds had a kid who went to Harvard and Six Ten center. Um, just a lot of talent in this area of, when when i was playing and um it made it it made it fun because every game was going up against somebody who was getting looked at by you know a big school somewhere
0: and i mean it's it's so cool as well that you went to owen and that's kind of where roy williams kind of cut his teeth as a coach i mean to me that's just so cool i mean owen's got a a great history anyway just athletically
1: yeah yeah it's definitely a a cool piece of thing you know I, i so I, I got to play at Owen and then coming back and getting to coach at Owen as well. And, you know, being a part of that tree, you could say, of uh, people who've, who've really uh, been a part there. You know, some great coaches like uh, Kenny Ford, who was there, and, and of course, Roy. And uh, I always will throw my dad in there and, and so forth. But there's some great coaches that have been down the line that have just done an awesome job in the sports and and, and really – made great careers there though. So. when did you kind of realize that you wanted to go into coaching and in education? Um, it was probably my sophomore year in college. Uh, I actually wanted to be a geologist, uh, but I am not a strong student in math. So <laughs> it, it doesn't really work out when it comes to geology in some ways. So, uh, I decided to switch to history and, and kind of continue to pursue that. My dad was a history teacher and Really, everybody in my family is a teacher. My mom, uh, my sister, and so teaching something that is is not it's something that I, I would consider to be kind of natural in a way um, to our family. And 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 so I switched to history. And, and knowing that I was going into that field, I knew I would probably want to get into coaching um, at least one sport, and ended up coaching three throughout my career. So that's
0: pretty awesome. What was your uh, favorite topic in history? I mean, what what area did you really focus in on?
1: I love the Aztecs. I could talk about the Aztecs and and the really that kind of Central American civilizations that existed, um, because I think sometimes they get a, a bad rap. You know, you look at the Aztecs and they uh, they get connected to human sacrifice a lot because they did do it, and that is uh, what we would consider, you know, obviously barbaric today. But um, but if you look at the other side of their culture, man, they they were just I mean, they, they were, were pretty
0: advanced. I mean, yeah, they had a lot of stuff.
1: Very advanced, very advanced culture, and so you know they they really rivaled any culture throughout uh, Europe or Asia uh, during that period of time.
0: And to think, good old Cortez is what what did them in. Yeah. I hate that guy
1: Cortez and disease. Well, really, disease. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his arrival with his diseases just destroyed that whole civilization. They wiped out up to about ninety percent of um, a lot of the Native American population throughout North and South America. So,
0: now how closely related? I'm. I've got a you know a name in my head like Quetzalcoatl. Is that that's Aztec? Is it not? Or is that more? Yeah, yeah. Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And that is uh, the Aztec as well. Yeah, the Aztec god. Um, one of one of the ones, and you have Huitzilopochtli, which was um, also one of their main gods at the time. So. That's pretty cool. And th- they had the
0: the whole idea that that was like the civilization started like in an island in the middle of the ocean. And then it, you know, came out and it was kind of like a, what was it? A, a sun or a dial or something. I can't really remember. I'm not, I'm not a history major. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they had a vision and the vision was that they would find a snake on a cactus. Uh, excuse me, not a snake, an eagle on a cactus with a snake in its mouth. And so they searched and kind of wandered around central Mexico. They arrived at Lake Texacoco and out in the middle of the lake, they saw that image of a snake, excuse me, a eagle on a cactus with a snake in its mouth. Um, And that's actually the image of of Mexico's flag as part of the kind of the Aztec history. Uh, You see that image in the center of Mexico's flag.
0: That's pretty cool. I mean, (laughs) for all three of those things to happen at one time, it's like, yep, well, we're stopping.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, that's phenomenal, some of the stuff they did there. They, they were uh, uh, pretty strong farmers. They farmed on the lake and created what was called chinampas and um, really could harvest way more than what we could do on land uh, by the way they had it set up, which was a uh, reason why they were able to sustain themselves for so long.
0: How many people did they have at kind of their height? I guess, I mean, and now I'm just curious. I'm just asking questions. But how many? Uh,
1: I think. Well, I think in the actual lake city there of Lake Texcoco, um, of Tenochtitlan, which was the capital city, it was about uh, 150 to 200 thousand is what the prediction is. Wow. Kind of lived on the lake, and then you had uh, the empire itself was was I think around 11 million, if I remember right. So that's um, crazy. Yeah. So it was it was a pretty pretty large connection um in terms of what they controlled and and um that you know the lake itself of course you know that's mexico city now yeah 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 so that's why mexico city is is like um dropping into the soil (laughs) (laughs) every year it's because they built on the lake so that's um, crazy
0: i didn't you don't think about that many people being alive during that kind of time period but I, i i mean that's I guess that's right. I mean, there's a lot more people that hasn't been that long ago. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's definitely one of the largest civilizations in, in North and South America during that period of time. So,
0: so then what was it kind of like coming to, you know, you were at Owen, which we've kind of established that that's a very prestigious school that had a lot of, I guess, historic western north carolina athletics kind of going through it what was it like you know graduating from app and then coming to pisgah and just that whole culture because i know it's completely different from what i've experienced i mean my dad coached at mount heritage and i saw kind of what that culture was but then pisgah is something completely
1: different it is it is it is a different place um and i tell people that people don't realize it and i didn't realize it when i first came you know i thought I thought Pisgah would be a lot like Owen um, and have some of the similar connections. And it did at the time, it had some, you know, uh, Owen was still a mill town kind of on the verge of losing its mill. So um, it, it's transitioned kind of away from that, that style of mentality. Um, but when I arrived at Pisgah, man, it it just kind of shocked me, the community support and, and how strong that place was and, and, Uh, how much the community is willing to give whether that be financially or time or whatever it is uh, just to make that school better and and to support it and to uh, back us you know and and so um, I got lucky and you were part of this team as well when we went to the state championship that first year uh, in basketball and you know that was uh, just an unreal experience I mean the the people lined up the streets, you know, and, and I'll never forget just what that felt like and, and how that community made me feel in that moment. I mean, it's kind of just
0: surreal, just me thinking back on that experience because not everybody gets to experience going to state like that. And for us, we had won state in basketball in 2005. And so then we go back in 2008, which is just Three years later, and I mean it's the same support that I saw people give in two thousand five and it was just it was insane and I mean for that to be your first year and I remember you know you coming in and and there was a lot going on because we had coach Cleveland had just left like a you know a right, year right. before that and then coach Johnson had come in and then I think this was this would have been my junior year so I'd played for one year under Casey Crook on JV, and then I was on varsity as a junior with Coach Johnson for his second full season. And just that team was so, the way it came together was kind of so strange because a lot of us played football. And so we came like straight off of the football field, had a week of practice and then played like three games straight. And we didn't look that good because we were not not right. in shape, and so people are like, "What is going on?" And then all of a sudden, these it just kind of jailed, and these winds started coming together, and you know, we went on this crazy run, like we just beat anybody that came in the gym. Basically, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, it
1: really wasn't. It was uh, it was a streak of of you know, really hot shooting and just kind of playing together, and it really everything just came together at the right moment for us um, and, and was just a phenomenal time to, to be a part of, you know, Pisgah basketball. I, I, it was, you know, and we, you're right. We, we won, I think our first three games in the uh, playoffs by 20 or plus points. I mean, we've won them easily. I
0: mean, it was, it, it, there was no question. I mean, we got, we were the first, I think we were the first seed on our side of the bracket and so the first time that we had to go somewhere else to play was to play star mount. And we had to drive all the way to Forsyth, which was a right, neutral right. location. <laughs> and I remember going to that gym and I was like, this place is like out in the middle of, <laughs> you know, this little town, of Fuquay And the gym was like super tiny. And I was like, this is nuts. Like, why are we playing here? And then to win that game, the way that we did where Zach Hollifield basically shut down, a what what was Victor Davila, a yeah, center, was, I guess, I at the time? I think he
1: played Powell Ford at Virginia Tech. Yeah, but, I mean, he went yeah. to VT,
0: yeah. which is a big deal. And to have Zach Hollifield shut him mm. down that way and us, us beat them, the only thing I can remember from that game is just how loud and how kind of on top of us all of the fans were because they didn't really have, like, a home side. Like, at Pisgah, if people have been to Pisgah and they've seen games, they know that the players sit in chairs that are off right, of the right. bleachers. When when we went to Fuquay Varina in Forsyth County, we were sitting on the bleachers with the fans basically sitting yeah, right was, behind us.
1: It was a strange <laughs> setup too. and You had the the baseline is where you had to sub at. Remember, you had to send people all the way down to the baseline. Oh yeah, it was just a. It was definitely a different environment. You know, a tiny little gym that didn't feel like a you know a regional semifinal game, but it was. And it was it was probably my out of all the games I've coached, it was probably the second most memorable high school basketball game that I've, I've been a part of just cause it was so loud. And, and, you know, like you said, you had Victor Davila, who was a great player. Um, and there was just a lot of, a lot of energy in that building that night. It was,
0: and it, it that win stands out to me a little bit more than us going to wake forest and playing there in the little John or not the little John that's at Clemson. What is the name of, of their gym? Uh,
1: L- Lawrence Joel?
0: That's right. And going to Lawrence Joel, and I remember um, getting subbed in at the end of that Shelby game after, after what was – that game had a crazy ending as well because R.J. fouls out. Right. Josh Clark comes in, draws a charge on their best player, which mm-hmm. fouls him out right (laughs) then we go on a little bit of a run and get up by like 10 points and then at that point the game is over i get subbed in and i'm like holy crap like i am on the court at wake forest like actually playing (laughs) like in a real game like not just you know practicing or you know playing pickup or something i mean that to me was almost surreal i remember looking up and seeing the giant tie-dye you know wake forest emblem on the top of their uh scoreboard that you know comes down in the middle of the
1: arena and i was like this is nuts right right yeah it was you know that game that game was a fun game to be a part of and and it was another one of those where we shot really well um that shelby team was the number one number one team i think ranked in the state at that time and many people thought they would just beat us uh they beat smoky mountain who actually won our conference that year um and so, you know, there was some prediction that they wouldn't be, you know, it might not be uh favorable for us to win that game, but we came out and played great and like you said, RJ fouled out and we got a little little tense when he did, but then, you know, Josh Clark came in and picked it up and um we got a couple of things go our way there and ended up winning, I think, like you said, by ten or fifteen points uh to go to the state championship.
0: I mean, it was it was nuts. Just the, and then just the whole, the whole atmosphere around that too, of us having to walk through, you know, we were going off the court and at halftime, you know, we're walking through the bleachers back to the locker room and how they set the fans is all the fans were, were seated kind of on one side. So like all the Shelby fans were in one place on right. one side of the arena and then all the pisgah fans and it was the same side like if you're thinking about you know basketball the sides of the court but they were divided like in the middle and so we had to walk through like where all the shelby people were sitting. And right. they were yep. just like we a second half team we're gonna come yep. back in the second half and i was like <laughs> this is crazy like I, this doesn't feel like like they're gonna throw stuff at us or something like <laughs> we're gonna get popcorn in our head or something i don't know it was it was nuts
1: yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely a fun experience, man. I wish, I wish, when we went to the state championship, we would have played like we did that night because we did kind of the exact opposite when we got there. So <laughs> we, I mean, we did we
0: we didn't shoot well. I mean, that's basically what it boils down to. We, I mean, we only the only points we scored, I think, in the first half came off of foul shots. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. I, I was keeping the shot chart. For that game, and it was also my first game with a, a halftime interview because, you know, we came out and I think we were down by ten or fifteen at halftime, and Coach Johnson was like, "You go do the interview. We got to fix this." <laughs> so I ran across the floor, and I remember the first thing they said is, "Is you know what what what's going on?" And I was like, "Well, we shot one for twenty-four, so yeah, <laughs> we, we're missing everything. I mean, that's what's going on. I think our hot streak unfortunately came to an end."
0: We yeah. couldn't have, th- we couldn't throw it in the ocean that first no, half. It wouldn't, not have, at all. We could have been standing in the ocean and couldn't have hit the water. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was brutal. <laughs> oh, so, man.
0: Well. I remember, I remember going in at halftime for that game. And I mean, there was really nothing anybody could say. I mean, there was no rah rah or, you know, heated arguments or, you know, crosswords or anything. It was just like, well, law of averages, we should shoot better in the second half. <laughs>
1: and that was pretty much it. Yeah. And, and we did. I mean, we came out and I, I know we, I think we cut it to 10 a couple of times, you know, a couple of times into single digits, but they, they were a good team. And so it was just too hard to recover from that, that first half.
0: And I'll shout out my dad real quick. He, you know, he's always running around talking about everybody. So after that, after our game was over, you know, and, we watch them get their medals and do all their stuff that you do. when you win a state championship. Of course, my dad's running around like a crazy person, just talking to anybody with a West Bladen shirt on. <laughs> and <laughs> he said that, um, he talked to a few different people and one of the kids that played on West Bladen, the uh, spot shooter, I can't remember what his name was, but he, I mean, he just killed us from the outside. He hit like what, six or seven threes yeah, or something yeah, like did. that. Mm-hmm. Dad, dad was talking to, you know, all of those different parents. And they said that that was the best game that that kid had ever played.
1: Yeah. And I remember we, we watched a lot of film on him, obviously preparing for that game. And, um, uh, we knew the point guard was great and, and he was, he was the real deal. Um, and we knew they had that big old center who was about six, eight or so and, and could play pretty strong inside. Um, but that, that particular kid, you know, you could tell he was a shooter, but he, he wasn't Hitting as many shots as he did today of the state championship, so he was—he was not did not show up as a as big of a threat as he ended up being in that particular game. I mean, he was lights out. I
0: mean, but at at that point, like you said, we're one for twenty-four. Yeah, you can't really come back from that. That's kind of you know, it's over kind of at that point. But now it was—it was a lot of fun. That whole experience was a lot of fun. But then, didn't you coach track also, and you get you went to state and track as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I've, I've been a track coach longer than anything else, so, which is kind of surprising because track was not my, you know, it was something in high school I just kind of did. Uh, Kenny Ford would look at me and go, hey, go jump and rake the pit, and then that, we'll call that a practice, and that's <laughs> essentially what I did uh, while I was there, he'd just leave me alone and i would try to figure out how to jump you know high jump or long jump or triple but um but yeah so when i started out you know i picked up track as a coach and um i'll be honest with you it's become kind of the one sport i love the other two i love football and i love basketball but i love track from a coaching perspective uh more than any sport and so uh been very lucky i think uh I think I've went to the state championship as a coach for track every year. Um, not always is that my particular kids, sometimes that's other kids, but, uh, just gotten to experience it and, and take a kid down there every year has been, uh, really awesome. Uh, and, and that's a fun environment, uh, down there at A&T. They do a great job running that meet and that track and facility is just awesome. Um, so yeah, when we had, a uh, let's see, I think that year it was, uh, Uh, Four by eight team that was really good. Uh, One of my future coaches, uh, Thomas Memorelli, also known as Cheese, was on that team, uh, and some other guys there. And, And so they got down there and competed for a state championship. Came close in the four by eight, which was awesome to see them do that.
0: I remember Thomas in high school. I would see we we lived in Bethel together, so I mean we we were pretty close. And I remember I would see him running. He he would run in those days all the time. I yeah. mean, he just, every time I would see him, he'd be out running somewhere. And I was like, Tommy, how many miles are you running? He goes, I don't really know. He's like, I just kind of run from the house to here, to there, to everywhere. And I was like, okay. But he was, I mean, at that point in time, he was rail thin and he could run. I felt like for days.
1: Yeah. He had uh, he would run like crazy, uh, and never stop really. Yeah, you know, that it was, that was him all the time. We talk about it now. We, we actually, I just saw him the other day and we were talking about how, how he wished he would have put on a little bit more muscle so he could have maybe been a little bit stronger because he was pretty, pretty skinny at that point in time. But he, uh he definitely was a great track runner and, and became a great track coach as well. Um, which, which was fun to have him around through all of that. He gives you a hard time though, about LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And I don't understand why, <laughs> you know, he, he, he likes to make those posts, but he knows Michael Jordan's the best player to ever play basketball. He, he does. He, he'll say it outside of the uh, Facebook world. Uh, but, yeah, he likes to make those posts, and uh, I like to always argue back with him on those. Uh, him and him and Rory McClure, both of those two, always trying to tell me LeBron's the best. But if you've ever watched Michael play, you know that ain't true. So,
0: Well, I know it for a fact. I, I had a grandmother that was very much in the Michael Jordan camp, so – if it's not Michael Jordan, then you're just wrong. That's what she would say. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I think that's a great debate. I always say it, but I think I think you actually said this, and I it, it might, I might be wrong on this. It might not have been you, but you know, it's okay to have the the greatest player in each generation. You know, and and maybe just enjoy the uh, the greatness that they are for the generation that they're that they're representing. And so, I kind of think about that. LeBron, you know, he is. Uh, he's still a phenomenal player though you know even though he's he not a great defender <laughs> <laughs> I know. mean
0: to think about it and and I was listening to someone talk the other day about this so living in Charlotte now you watch I watch the Hornets and Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball are good like I think yeah. I think yes. we're turning it around as far as that organization goes and I was listening to someone talk the other day and they said that in the offseason, this past offseason, Lamelo wanted to become a better shooter. Mm-hmm. So he buckled down and said, I'm just going to be a better shooter and only work on shooting from the outside and get as good as I can get. And now this year, he he is a good outside perimeter shooter. It took LeBron yeah. James like four or five seasons to figure that out.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I, I, I love watching Charlotte play. You know, they're fun to watch right now. I hope that they keep this team together in, in some of those pieces. Uh, I will say Michael Jordan is one of the greatest players or the greatest player to ever play the game, but I'm not so sure he's the greatest owner to, <laughs> to be there. So it kind of scares me. Cause I'm like, who's he going to trade? Who, what's going to happen? Who's oh, I
0: know. I, I think the same thing. And then him getting into racing as well, since I, I work in racing, it's, it's kind of like he's coming out of his box finally. And he's like, okay, maybe I can venture into these other things. And I'm like, this is awesome that you're doing all of this. It's just, no one ever sees you in Charlotte. Like, where are you? <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? And it's, you just realize that he's, you know, out at the golf course, probably somewhere playing golf with someone, but yeah. that's just kind of MJ. I mean, you watched last dance. I'm sure everyone's watched it. He takes things very personal. So
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. If he hears this podcast, he'll probably call me or something. So that would be yeah, cool. exactly. He'll say, <laughs> Upset Hey, that I said that, you know, so um that is a great documentary though and again i don't i don't know how anybody who loves basketball could watch the last dance and not say that's the greatest player to ever play the game but you know that's i guess just my opinion cheese and rory will continue to argue with me on that so i mean they'll have to
0: (laughs) i mean i don't know i want to at some point i want to get together with a couple of my buddies that i I went to western with and i want to do like the top, like the my top five, like my team, like the starters that I would choose, like across the whole, you know, the whole basketball world, and just pick five people. But I'm sure it's not going to be like I would want to build a team. Like I wouldn't just want to pick the five greatest players of all time. You know, uh-huh. I mean, yeah. it's kind of got to go together. But I'm not real sure on, yet who would be on there. But Michael Jordan's definitely on on that team.
1: <laughs> on that yeah. team. The two, the two I would definitely have is Michael Jordan, and the other one. Not everyone agrees with me on this, but would be Tim Duncan because Tim Duncan, he was, so he's quiet. So people don't look at him as much, but if you actually look at what he accomplished in his career, there's not many people who can touch Tim Duncan. I mean, he was in a phenomenal power forward um, and just a, amazing what he was able to accomplish. But like I said, not everybody's on the boat with me on that one. So
0: <laughs> I liked Tim Duncan though. I think he's to me, he's underrated. I think you're right. Not a lot of people give him enough credit. He
1: he did some 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 amazing things while in San Antonio, and, and you know I I don't have the stats on me, but if I look, looked it up again, it would I think he won you know two or three MVPs. He was uh, all defensive team, all uh, you know first team NBA. Um, what three or five championships? I don't even, I can't even think off the top of my head. I don't I mean, remember. Just, just accomplished so much in that career. It's, it's a long list and, um, it rivals some of the greatest players who's ever played. So.
0: So t- kind of transitioning, uh, the other big topic that I wanted to ask you about is, is your, your fly fishing and just what's going on with that right now. I know that fishing season is, is very good right now. It's good in the cold. Um, I've seen a bunch of your pictures on your Instagram what, what's kind of your, you know, your modus operandi when you're, you're going into this fishing season?
1: Well, you know, I, I love to fly fish. It's, it's kind of my, I sometimes call it my Sunday morning church in a way, you know, it's my way to reconnect, uh, spiritually, you know, with my faith, but also in a way to just kind of get back to nature and, and, and enjoy what nature looks like. You know, um, we, we kind of get stuck in this world on, on our phones and, um doing things you know working all the time and, and and this is my way to get away and just enjoy it and so um when the pandemic started i, I got back into fly fishing and, and i'm so happy i did because uh it just it's so much fun man to go out and um, try to match you know what what the fish are eating and and then just catching them in general and just enjoying uh that process that takes place and uh, i've kind of made a you know some I've, I've made a couple of cheesy YouTube videos off of it and, <laughs> you know, take some pictures and started a little uh, Instagram page called uh, that I uh, post pictures on with, with, you know, trout that I catch. But um, it's just something that I, I, I truly love, and I'm hoping my kids will love it. I've taken my daughter a couple times. She mainly just hangs on my back while we wait up the stream, and then <laughs> I'll catch one and then let her reel it in. But, you know, I'm I'm hoping to – bring that to my family and let them enjoy it, uh, just as much. So
0: that's awesome. Now I I haven't done a lot of fly fishing, um, growing up on the pigeon, I just did a lot of rod and reel type stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, with night crawlers and corn and just different things, but I, I really like to fish, but I can roll cast. Okay. I'm not good. I'm not good at doing the, um, you know, where you flick it back and forth about 500 times and then (laughs) throw it in the water. I I can't do that. I'm afraid I'm about to hook, hook myself or like hook a tree or something. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely an art form in a way. And, and, you know, fly fishing here is so much different than like fly fishing in Colorado or somewhere like that. You know, here you've got so much coverage and and so many trees (laughs) that are right there along the bank that if you're in one of these smaller rivers you've you've oftentimes got to get creative of how you're going to cast and where you're casting to and and just be you know understand what your surroundings are and and there's times i fish streams that you wouldn't even think would have fish you know they're two or three feet wide um but they you know i'm crawling up under a rhododendron and and doing you know just pulling it back and kind of slingshotting my fly into the hole just just to try to catch trout out of so um, I kind of like that challenge and 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 getting her, you know, doing all that. But I will say it is, uh, you know, I started out as as a bait fisherman. That's kind of how I began with, you know, just bait and spinner. And um, when I got to app, I, I started to try out a fly rod and was pretty horrendous at it at first. I, I spent most of my time trying to figure out why my line was either in the tree or wrapped up around <laughs> my rod or you know caught somewhere. Uh, you know, half the time not catching a fish, but, uh, I stuck with it and, and got better at it and I'm self-taught. So I, I don't do everything correctly, but I at least, uh, am, am able to go out now and, and, uh, be a little more successful than those early days.
0: I mean, if you're hauling in fish, I feel like that's, that's fine. If, I mean, you're, you're catching stuff, so that's a positive, even if right, you are right. self-taught.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, it's, there's different type of fish too, you know, cause we have here in North Carolina, we have these hatchery stock streams and those, those fish are, uh, for a lack of a better word, those are some dumb fish. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need a lot to, to trick them. So I can put on one, there's one particular fly I call a black woolly booger. I could put that on and catch, you know, 20, 30, 40 fish just using that one fly uh when I'm fishing for those type of fish but now I will say when you start fishing for the wild trout and and the native trout those are the ones that you have to be a little bit more calculated in what you're using and and be a little bit smarter about the size of it and and really use them more thought when it comes to uh, catching those and so they're fun and I I fish for those mainly in this time of year or in the summer um I kind of go away from them and the spring and fall because those big hatchery sh- uh, streams get stocked, and I sometimes want to catch a bigger fish. And uh, but yeah, it's it's fun, uh, you know, trying to take on those challenges.
0: So, what does the wooly booger look like? What is that? What is that particular uh,
1: fly? Just like a like a wooly booger, like you'd see on the on the uh, road that you always are crawling on around. You know, early late spring, I guess you could say. I think early summer, you start to see these wooly boogers come out. But it's uh, about I don't know, maybe an inch long, black, real fuzzy, and and um, usually I fish with what's called a bead head on top, so it sinks down a little bit farther and um, kind of work it like a spinner. To be honest with you, I, in a way, I throw it in, and I let it sink to the bottom. If nothing hits it on on its first pass, then I'll bring it back and kind of stream it through the hole like a spinner and see if anything reacts to it. So, but it's 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 kind of the classic. Easy fly to to learn to use in those hatchery supported waters.
0: Now, what's your favorite fly? Which which one is has
1: got your your eye? I guess. Um, there's a there's a couple. Um, I would say probably the one that I use the most. Um, would be I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. I, I use this kind of it's really like a stimulator, but. Uh, it it's yellow kind of dry fly a lot in the summer. Uh, not very big, pretty tiny. Uh, but that's what I use most in, in the summer because those, those little wild or native trout, uh, really get aggressive. And and so they start hitting a dry fly a lot. Uh, and it's just fun to watch them hit that top water fly. Um, something like a also called a light Cahill, which is another, uh, just standard kind of Western North Carolina fly that exists and, and works, pretty much all the time, um, throughout, throughout trout fishing season is another thing I'll throw. Uh, and then really when it comes to, uh, nymphing, which is usually your, your your small bugs underneath the water, um, that I just kind of look around and see what I can find, whether it's on a, you know, a stick or something, try to see if I can find any type of organism. And then I, I just try to match whatever that is as far as the color goes. So, uh, that can be many different things, <laughs> depending on the time of year. So,
0: I always liked when I was a kid. I would wade through the the steel parts of the, you know, the creek or the wherever I was at water. Usually up in Standing Indian and Franklin. Yeah, When we yep. were camping, and um, I would pull stick bait out, and I, I like to use stick bait. I thought stick bait was pretty, <laughs> pretty fun to throw in. Just you know, not a fly fly uh, reel, but just stick it on there and stick it in the water and see what happens. But usually <laughs> it, that doesn't turn out too well.
1: <laughs> I said one time I was, this is how I kind of got into fly fishing. I, um, a, a beehive had fallen off in the water. And so I don't, it just happened like right there. It was floating down the stream. So the bees were no longer connected to it at this point in time. Uh, and I picked it up and I said, well, I wonder if I put this on the, I saw like a little bee larva in there. So I wonder if I put that on if that would work. And and it uh it worked. And this was when I was still bait fishing. And so then I was like, well, you know, this is probably what fly fishing's like, you know, trying to match something like that. And and you know, that's really what what it is. You try to, you know, match whatever is floating on the surface or or underneath the surface and and finding those bugs and and you'll be surprised how how many fish will be attracted to that once you can match it.
0: I mean, you've kind of come full circle though. I mean, you wanted to go into geology, you studied the Aztecs and fly fishing. I feel like all that kind of relates somehow. I just haven't put (laughs) the pieces together yet.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think uh, it may relate somehow. I don't, I don't know exactly how, but we definitely, it's, it's, uh, you know, that connection, I think just back to the nature in a way is, is something that I just, I just love to, to study and, and, you know. Learn more about and be a part of. You know, if if it was my choice, if I, if I felt like I was strong enough of a fly fisherman and, and knew enough about you know what I was doing, I would do that as like a guide or so forth. But you know, it's not an area that I've I feel comfortable uh, at this point uh, doing in, in my career field. So maybe when I retire and get older, that might be something I look into doing. There you go, uh, to, just to keep that alive. <laughs>
0: So what's your, uh, what's your best fly fishing story so far? What's your, you know, the one that you tell people when you tell them that you fly fish?
1: Uh, well, it was probably early on. It was, it was one of the most memorable moments I guess you could have. Um, I was fishing down in Curtis Creek, which is a well-known delayed harvest stream, um, down in McDowell County. And, uh, it just started this program of delayed harvest, which is where you can, uh, essentially you're not allowed to keep the fish between October and the first weekend in June. And so the concept's great. It doesn't work right now because people essentially poach trout out of these regions now, but it started out and it worked for about three or four years um, where you would have these, you know, trout that hold over uh, for six or seven months and and became really good fisheries uh, during those times. But uh, probably my, my most memorable moment was, I was fishing with a black willy booger and (laughs) I saw this brown in the bottom of a hole. And I floated that thing right by that brown. He ignored it the first time. So the second time I floated it by him and and then I started pulling it back like a streamer. Yeah. So I'm working that thing like a streamer back and forth. and, And that brown just hits that black willy booger and I fight him probably for 10 minutes. I mean, my right arm felt like it was going to fall off. It, it really did. <laughs> and luckily my friend was there. So he is able to net the fish for me. And that was just so much joy because that was my first big fish on a fly rod, which is a completely different feeling than on a bait, like a bait caster or a spin rod. Um, and so, um, it was just uh, such an awesome moment, uh, catching that brown and uh, we took that, took a picture. We had Polaroid then. It wasn't, you know, it didn't have, I <laughs> had a flip phone, so there was no picture on the phone at that time. Uh, but I still have that today. I'll, I always treasure that picture. because That's the, just that first big fish to catch, um, at that time. So how much do you think he weighed? Uh, I would say he was probably three to four pounds. He was a big, big Brown. I would say probably 22 inches or so. Man, that's a big fish. Yeah, it was, it was massive and, and I, I think really, I just got lucky. <laughs> maybe, maybe annoyed the fish enough with the the black bully booger that he's like, all right, I'm just going to hit this to get it to go away and ended up catching him off of it. So <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man.
0: See, that's, that's got me thinking about all my hunting stuff that I, I, you know, I just finished deer season up and we're getting ready to go squirrel hunting here before too long. And my, but my father-in-law, he, he used to fish a lot. He's got a little bit of a boat, like just a little skim boat you know mm-hmm. just aluminum yep. body that he's going to put in the water hopefully soon he's just repainted it and he's working on his uh his trolling motor and all that kind of stuff so he wants to go back out on the lake at some point and I'm like okay yeah I can do that but he also <laughs> wants to do like some uh pier fishing he likes to go down to Myrtle Beach and and do that kind of stuff
1: uh uh-huh. but yeah I, I've never done any, I, I do lake. I used to do lake fishing. I would go with, uh, some of our coaches at Pisgah, Clint Connard had a boat. and We'd go out, me, him and Casey Crook and, and fish on Fontana. And that was always a fun experience, but I've just never had the money to buy a boat. I, I really enjoy it when I do it, but, um, I, I can never justify it. So
0: <laughs> to me, I've got the kayak. So I just hop in the kayak and paddle out to, you know, a quiet spot and just, throw it in a few times if I'm, if I'm, that's really what I'm wanting to do. But what, um, I was going to ask you, I love fish. If it swims in the water, I eat it and I, it's probably my favorite food. What's, what's your favorite way
1: to prepare some of the fish that you've caught? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not much of a cook, David. So (laughs) when I catch a fish, well, my, my, uh, my wife hates fish. So there's no, no trout coming into the house. Um, when when she's here. But what I'll do is I'll occasionally keep one or two. I don't keep a lot because, um, I don't eat, eat it a ton, uh, in terms of trout, but I will keep one or two occasionally and, and take it to my mother who will, uh, fry them up in a pan and, and get them just right, as I like to say. So I don't know her secret recipe, but I do know when she cooks them, it's, it's really good. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, I did, see poor Mallory, my wife, she has a little bit of
0: aversion to seafood. Like it, it just doesn't settle with her very well, uh-huh. but I love this stuff. I mean, I, I've eaten it for like the past two meals that I've eaten. So for lunch today and for dinner last night, I've had fish both times and it's been the first time in like a few weeks. And I'm just uh-huh. so happy right now, like just <laughs> from eating fish. I'm like, man, this stuff is so good. And she's like, this is gross. I'm like, no, I love it. Like, I wish you
1: liked it as much as I do. <laughs> Yeah. I, I do miss it. Like I, I'm not a, I probably couldn't eat it like every day, but I definitely would love to eat it, you know, once or twice a, a month. And, uh, when I do get it, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So.
0: That's awesome. So what kind of, the, kind of wrapping up here, what would be your, like, if you were going to fly fish in one place, would it just be in Western North Carolina under the rhododendron bush trying to, you know, throw the woolly booger in on something or would you want to try, you know, somewhere out in Colorado or something like that?
1: Well, I actually went to Colorado this past summer and, um, I just graduated my master's degree and that was my wife's, uh, present to me was to go fishing in Colorado, which was, uh, awesome. So I think if I had a, you know, a chance and, you know, had, had one more, you know, if I only had one more chance, I would, I would definitely go out there, um, to try to fish again because it's just a, it's a different style, but also their streams are, are a lot bigger and they're able to sustain more fish. They don't need to stock them like we have to do here in, in Western North Carolina. They're able to just continue with these large populations. And, um, it's just, it's just a beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever been to Colorado, but it's, it's just amazing kind of what, what that area looks like. And, um, so that's, that's, that's my goal actually is, is to hopefully talk her into going West again, whether it's Colorado or Montana or somewhere, uh, this summer and, and maybe throwing in a trout trip on, on the way. So. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> See, we're trying to knock off all the, all the States. So, mm-hmm. if you, you know, you've been keeping up with the, with the show, you know, we did Boston and Rhode Island and Connecticut this past mm-hmm. year for Halloween. I think we're going to try to do Utah at some point this year. I don't know. And so that'll be, Mallory really wants to go horseback riding like in the grand Canyon or something Uh to that effect. And so hopefully if we go out there, it won't be in the middle of the summer where we'll absolutely burn up, but maybe I can convince her to fish a little bit. If we go out there, I think that would be fun. (laughs) Um, I haven't, the last time I went fishing was probably this past summer and it was just on the beach, but I'm Mm. not a very good beach fisherman. I I'm, It's just, I never have any success. I went the past couple of times I've been with my father-in-law. He catches like everything. And I'm just over here with squid on my hook, just like throwing it back in the water. And I'm going, well, I don't think there's anything over here. And he's like, well, I'm catching stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you're having a good time because I can't catch anything. I can't even catch a cold. So uh, that's awesome though. And I just wanted to tell you that I thought when you came to Pisgah and the first time that we kind of met, I thought you were probably the coolest coach that we had at that point. I was like, man, (laughs) coach Mack is
1: awesome. I like this guy. (laughs) I appreciate that, David. It was, that was a a early part. I didn't really know what I was doing because that was my first year, first few years coaching. It was definitely a, a whirlwind of just trying to figure out everything, you know, but it was, uh, it, it was great to be a part of Pisgah and, and some of those teams and you were a great person to coach, you know, you, oh, you I appreciate did everything it. Everything I, you know, everything I asked, you, you, there's no questions. You worked hard every single day. um You know, just, just a true, you know, team player in everything you did. And um I really do think you, you, I always think about that. Like out of all of the teams and all the players I've coached, you know, you, you might've been the, the, best example of like a, uh, just that true player that works their butt off and, and never, never complains, never, you know, just puts a hundred percent in all the time. And, and, um, I think that's a a very true statement about who you were then and who you are now as well. So
0: I really appreciate that. I just tried to, I don't know, I'd get very nervous sometimes. Sometimes my brain wouldn't allow (laughs) me to do the things that I knew that I could do, but I just tried to, just every chance I got, I tried to do the best that I could do, no matter if it was spitting a watermelon seed or trying to hit free throws. So (laughs) shoot,
1: that junior year was rough on me. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. That that junior year though. I mean, you got to think that was a, that team was, was impressive. Uh, You know, the, the, everybody that was there, you know, it was, that was an impressive group of, of players to just be a part of, you know.
0: Well, and and a lot of people don't understand how much fun it is to be on a team that's that good, and to know that you're just a part of the team. Right. And right. I mean, you know, there's no, there was no pressure on on me at all, other other than going in at garbage time, and it's like, hey, we want <laughs> you to score, and it's like, I don't really want to, but this is kind of awkward. But anyway. <laughs> Um, it was a lot of fun just to sit on the bench and just hang out with, you know, Michael Mathis and Zach Trantham and me, and we were all kind of just down at the end and, you know, we were watching what's going on and we were paying attention and we were, you know, we were doing the things that we were supposed to be doing, but just to have the excitement that we had to see how well our teammates are playing and just experience all that. It was, gosh, I, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. It was so much fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great time. And, and, you know, like that team, you think about those starting five, I think that starting five, all of them could have went and played ball in college if they wanted to. Some Mm -hmm. of them did. And, and, you know, I think Jared went to Presbyterian and um, I know some of the other ones had offers in there. Of course, um, RJ, of course, goes to Lenore Ryan. Um, But, you know, the next year, you know, you think about how much we lost you and Zach and, Uh, Michael Mathis and everybody, y'all stepped up and I think we, didn't we make the third round that year as well?
0: We did. I remember we went, we had to, we, we had a rough go kind of at the beginning because the way that Coach Johnson had, he had, what had happened is you, you probably remember this better than I do, but they had kind of switched our conference up a little bit and it had come that time where you could decide when you wanted to load your schedule at the very beginning <laughs> of the season. And right. so coach Johnson had done he, he had thought about this and it was smart I guess when he he had done it because we were getting all of our players back kind of at the same time. But it turned out to hurt us the year after that because we weren't very deep
1: like right, our team
0: right. we we just didn't have like when we when I was a junior we had like 15 players. Right. And yeah. so I mean we could just Turn five out every time we went down the course. Someone got tired. It's like, okay, there you go. There's five fresh players. We're good to go. My senior year, we couldn't really do that. Right. We, weren't, yeah. we weren't that deep. And what he had done is he had scheduled like our first, what was it? First month of basketball season. Like we were yeah. supposed to play like two games a week. And he took like the first three weeks and basically moved all those games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we were playing like three, four games a week. And by the time that we got to Franklin, I remember going, like, I was going in and playing, like, significant, you know, not a whole lot of minutes, but important minutes. And I was going in and playing, and, you know, it was kind of like the end of the half, and we come off, and everyone just looks like they're dead. Like, we're like, we are so tired right now. Like, how are we going to do this? And I remember Coach Crook just being like, we just have to make it through this next week, and then we'll be okay. (laughs) Like, just – just make it through next week because that senior year we won like our first five games or something like that. It was, it was insane. And we beat North Buncombe at home. I'll never forget this. So <laughs> it, it was a close <laughs> game, the whole, the whole game. And it comes down to the very end of the game. And I think North Buncombe is up by one and they go down and, And they shoot some crazy shot. I think Randy Presley shot it. And Michael Mathis gets the rebound and drives all the way down the other side of the court right about the time, you know, the clock is expiring. And he puts up a layup and Randy Presley just hacks the fool out of him. Right. Yeah. And they blow the whistle. And of course, the horn goes off because there's no more time left. And they call a foul on Randy Presley. And they look over at the thing and they're like, oh, you guys are in the you know, the, the double bonus. So you're going to get to shoot foul shots. And they're like, Michael, you're going to go and shoot the foul shots. And this is to win the game. (laughs) And I remember him, like, he was almost shaking. Like you could see him almost like shaking. And I was like, you got this. You're fine.
1: (laughs) He was, he was not the most consistent free throw shooter we had on the team. I remember being nervous about that as well. I was,
0: I was just really nervous too. I was like, please just hit one like just just hit one like that's all we need and he hit both of them. Yeah. And I remember after that he said I almost dropped the ball when he threw threw it to me on the first one. He said I was shaking so bad.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great.
0: Oh man, it was so much fun. But it was great to catch up with you, uh coach. I mean, it's been it's been a while since I've seen you, but I like I said I've been following along. Um, kind of you know all the stuff that you've been doing on Facebook and and all that stuff, but um again you were a, just a great coach and it was it was awesome to get to be at the start of your career in uh, in your coaching career and in your teaching career. It was just a lot of fun.
1: Well, thanks, man. Thanks and thanks for having me, on. all And I appreciate it. And um, you know I, I, I enjoy listening to these, and I've been it kind of allows for me to reminisce about the the good times that we had uh, while there at Pisgah. So. Well,
0: and I try to have everybody on and just showcase them because I think you guys are cool. And, you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm over here just working in production and doing my own little thing. And I think about Pisgah and the people that I knew and the fun that we had. And I'm like, you know what, what are they doing? And I'll look them up and you guys are doing some cool stuff. So I figured why not (laughs) highlight that and let everybody else know that I know some very cool people. I mean, it's (laughs) just kind of, that's how my brain works. So.
1: That's good. Thank thank you for having me on, David. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, no problem. And if you guys wanna follow uh Coach McElrath what's your handle to follow your fishing stuff?
1: Oh, if you wanna follow the fishing uh Instagram, it's uh WNC fishing. Um and it's really just me posting pictures of, of fish I catch throughout the year. And then YouTube I've I've got a little uh page. It's just my name, Clint McElrath. and Uh, They're pretty cheesy videos, but I did just get a GoPro and a drone, so I may try to upgrade those videos and see if I can do a little better this uh, spring and summer, so we'll see how that goes.
0: There you go. And if you want to reach out to us, we're also on Instagram that styles and friends podcast on, on there. And if you want to send us an email, that styles.and.friends.podcast at gmail.com. I know that that's a mouthful, but that's the best I could do when I first came up with this thing. So anyway, <laughs> that's the email address. If you want to leave us a voicemail, if you leave us a voicemail, I could actually put you in the show. If you leave me something of good quality, that's 828-549-8842. 88 42. Again, Follow uh, Coach McElrath and all his stuff that he's doing uh, with his WNC fishing page. Uh, For me, I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.